When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes deeper into segments and topics that aired on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. This week, we're taking a look back at some of the many amazing guests and experts we've been lucky to have on the program. I've had everybody from members of Congress to medical professionals, even professional singers and songwriters. Now let's take a look at some of our favorite moments with our guests who provided us with their wisdom and expertise. The first expert we have up is Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who talks to us about the pink tax and why certain goods and services cost women more than they do men. The same thing that a man buying and a woman buying costs more. It's ridiculous. And she was even kind enough to give us a little show and tell. Let's check it out. Congresswoman Speer, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for letting me be a man in this woman-centric topic. <laughs> Too bad we don't rule the world, though. Just because we're ruling this particular podcast, that's the problem. We're not ruling the world yet. I would be honest. I felt uncomfortable hosting this episode. I was like, well, maybe Desi need the guest host. I don't want to get in trouble. You're doing great, Roy. Okay, before we do anything, we have to define what the issue is. So, Desi, Stacy, let's start off off the top. What is the pink tax well, the pink tax refers to the markup on goods and services that are specifically being targeted to women. Gender price discrimination. So, Roy, you everything you buy is cheaper than the same products we want to buy. Okay, so if we both bought deodorant and your and mine is man deodorant and yours is woman deodorant, same brand, you're paying more than me. Is what you're saying, Stacy? It's more expensive for us to smell good than for you. Which is why Stacy and I refuse to smell good. Yeah, you're lucky this is on Zoom, Roy, because you don't <laughs> want to smell this. Okay. They won't even okay. let us back in the studio. Yes. Okay. Nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so, Congresswoman, Congresswoman, I'm sorry, I apologize for both of them. Um, why, why does the pink tax exist? And more importantly, how do manufacturers and retailers justify this tax? Well, the pink tax exists because it's a form of gender discrimination. It's not just about pink, it's about the fact that women's products cost more than men's products um, when they are basically identical. Um, it is important for us to address this because, uh, as we all know, women still make less than men uh, for every dollar a man earns, a woman makes 82 cents. If you look of, at women of color 
it's even more egregious. And that's real money when everything is said and done. Are there other examples of this other than deodorant? Because I'll be honest, as a man, this isn't something that you would normally think about because you're not buying a lot of women's items unless you're a committed, strong man in a relationship like I am. So you're not aware of this. Give me what, what other items other than deodorant? I have heard that women get worse deals on cars. But let me give you some products that kind of make the case. All right. Okay. So this is... Um, Dove deodorant for men and women. And as you can see here, uh, for a four pack, a woman's gonna pay $19.39. The man's gonna pay $13.58. But that's just deodorant, let's move on. How about probiotics for women? Um, okay. $32.79, $22.79 for a man. Um, All right, this is like the price is right. Let me guess the it next It is, the <laughs> price is wrong though, that's the problem. <laughs> Always so wrong. The, so the Price is Right needs to have a gender separate episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe so, huh? So look at this. These are bibs, right? Bibs for okay. boys, bibs for girls. A dollar more for the girls' bibs. No, wait. There's more. What? Want, what? There's more. Oh my God. These are kids' diapers. The kids' diapers. Thirty-seven dollars for the girl. Thirty-three dollars for the boy. But I'll show you what? the same discrimination for it's adult just diapers. Congresswoman. That's not. And, and boys have more happening to fill out diaper space. So really, square footage. It should cost more for the men, right? But probably because they need more absorbance. <laughs> <laughs> they need more absorbent material, right. so it should right? cost more, right? Yeah. Now we did this same study two or three years ago. Um, and they were egregious around children's toys. So I had my interns do this just this week, and this is what they found online at retailers throughout the country. Mm, mm, mm. So this is up-to-date current. So what are we gonna do about it? How does price discrimination add another layer to the wage inequality that women also deal with? Well, it's yet another blow. Um, when I did the service review in 1996, we found out through the Assembly Office of Research in California that women were paying $1,400 in a gender tax every year, more uh, than men. So imagine, on top of the fact that we're in a, C, a she session, not a recession, more women are out of work like than men, work. and there's uh, 1.3 million women who have left the workforce since COVID hit and have not returned in part because of the lack of childcare. This number is the highest number of women not employed since 1991. So you couple that with women out of work, um, women getting paid less than men, and on top of that, products are, and services are costing them more. There ought to be a law, and that's why I've introduced the Pink Tax Repeal Act, and we have 51 co-sponsors on it now. This issue, this pink tax issue, when we talk about the what, say the word again, a she session? A she session instead she of a session. recession. I like it. Does the she session strike women equally or even within that, is there additional inequities based on race? Oh, no question. Um, it's more egregious for women of color, um, African-American women, Latina women, um, and the amount of um, loss in income uh, is the greatest for Latina women. So your pink tax repeal act, it's bipartisan. And basically we're trying to get all of these manufacturers and retailers on the same plane to basically say, if it's something as simple as deodorant and it both it keep both of y'all from being musty, it should be the same price. 
That's right. Um, unless you can prove. I'm sure it's not worded like that. I'm sure no. you worded it more professionally. You probably said FTC and attorney general. You used a lot of the proper That's right. words. That's right. We, we did use more proper words to basically say, if you don't play by these rules, you're going to be sued. And so then the bill has 48 co-sponsors right now. What, has there been any pushback that you've seen? so far on, on Actually, the proposal. The numbers have grown. It's now at 51. I've talked to the chairwoman of the subcommittee. She loves the bill and we're going to have a, a hearing on it and hopefully get it to the House floor uh, within the next few months. And we can credit you with helping me get it over uh, the top. Desi. Desi. <laughs> no credit here. No credit here. What role can consumers play in provoking change? And by well, consumers, I mean men. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're the problem. I know. You are the problem. Well, you, well, the problem is that it's not illegal in most states to charge more for services based on gender or charge more for products. You should not be discriminating on goods and services based on gender. It should be based on the time it takes to do a service and what's in the product. Women pay about 40% more to get their hair cut than men do, and they pay about 60% more at the dry cleaners for the same service for the same item. And then for car repairs, they pay about 30% more. Now in California, back in the 90s, I had legislation passed that was signed into law that said for services, you had to base it not on gender, but on the amount of time it takes to provide that service. For instance, I timed the last time I got my hair cut. It took 10 minutes. And I watched a man getting his hair cut, and it took longer. So if we do base it on time, then I think you're going to see the tables turned a little bit, and then there'll be an outcry <laughs> from you guys because you're going to be paying more for the, your $2 dry cleaning shirt. When would you say that you all were first aware of a pink tax existing? Because, you know, you, you got to figure you have a little bit of a blind spot to certain inequities. And then one day you just go, wait a minute. When was uh, <laughs> yeah. when was your wait a minute moment? Congresswoman, I'll start with you. Uh, it was when I took my husband's Oxford shirt shirts to the dry cleaner and they were, you know, a dollar fifty a shirt. And my Oxford shirt costs, you know, three fifty or four dollars. That's when I thought, wait a minute, something's wrong here. I can remember when I first started shaving my legs around six, seven years old. I was a very hairy child. <laughs> uh, no, I was 13, 12, 13, somewhere around there. And my mom bought me a razor and some shaving cream. And I, I remember the Gillette razor being considerably more expensive than what men use. And my mom refusing to buy me that razor and also bought me a can of Barbasol, like the old school <laughs> men's shaving cream. And so when I shave my legs, I use like I just use this stuff for men. And I still, if I'm being honest, I still have an affinity for the smell of Barbasol. <laughs> That's why I just never shave my legs. Uh, mine was I went through a terrible phase where I had um, we'll call it a pixie haircut to be nice about it. And I went to a hair salon and uh, the girls' haircuts were like about $20 to $30 more. And I was like, why? I'm literally getting the same haircut as that guy in the chair. And I just at the time thought that they were just a really 
like sexist hair place and they were like oh well women you know you guys have more layers i'm like it's the exact same haircut and then it wasn't until i went to your office and i was ashamed i was like oh my god this is a thing like another thing to add on top of everything else so you opened my eyes congresswoman good we want to open the eyes of both men and women in this country to recognize that this is another form of discrimination that we've got to stamp out Big thank you to the Congresswoman Spear for giving us a little bit of her time. Our next expert after the break is going to talk to us about the way nurses have been treated during COVID. Well, actually mistreated. It's beyond the scenes. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Welcome back. You know what, man? That Price is Wrong segment was really eye-opening. CBS needs to develop that into a Price is Right spinoff. Hit me up, Drew Carey. I got nothing but time. Trevor got my number. Next up, I chat with the doctor of nursing, Dr. Christopher Freeze. Now, I know his name sounds like a bit of a supervillain, but I assure you, he's a hero in a white coat. I chatted with Christopher about how nurses have been coping during the pandemic, and he had some real eye-opening things to say about the treatment of nurses. Give me the clip. Dr. Freeze, you know, when you look at healthcare in the modern era in this country now, like it's not just about knowing your job from a techie, technical, IV, find the vein standpoint. You also, it seems that the job of nurse is a little bit part sociologist as well, where you have to be able to relate to people. And I would even argue that it might be a little small element of social work in trying to 
just connect with people on a normal human basis. But you have a lot of different confluences happening. What do you believe are the primary challenges for nurses and the healthcare system right now? Well, how much time do we have right now? Um, so <laughs> you know, first I want to say that each and every day, nurses are delivering exceptional care across the country. They are they are getting it done for their patients, technically, socially, physically. They are problem solving behind the scenes. They are, you know, I call it, you know, part technical, part psychology, part air traffic controller. And, and that's the part that a lot of people don't see. So a lot of excellent nursing care is still happening, but we're on the brink. And we've been on the brink for about almost two years now. So when we think about the priorities, what I'm really worried about is at some point, our public health officials will have a lower level of concern for COVID than they do right now. They will say, we're at a phase that we can, quote, manage this. We, we have an ability, you know, the case counts are very, very low. We're not seeing these big wide spikes that we're still seeing. And everybody's gonna say, oh, great, problem solved. And they're gonna walk away. And they're gonna leave nurses in the lurch without solving the underlying structural things that are happening to nurses every day and have been happening for a decade. So my team has been studying nursing workplaces for two decades now. A couple things that I'm very worried about. One is uh, executives are not spending enough time on understanding the working conditions of nurses and how they need to fix them. They're not listening to nurses and solving their problems. Executives They're, within the healthcare system. Exactly right. Okay. Just make Ex sure. Executives in the healthcare system are not listening carefully to nurses' concerns and acting upon those concerns. When nurses tell you they have a problem, they have a problem. They're not making it up. And when nurses have problems in their workplaces, we've known that patients are more likely to die. Patients are more likely to have complications. Patients are more likely to have to stay longer in the hospital. None of us want any of that. So first is we have to have our healthcare executives listen deeply and carefully to nurses and work very strategically on those problems. Then we have a couple of structural things, not very sexy, but we still allow many nurses, as you point out, to work mandatory overtime. Their boss can come to them. They've worked a 12-hour shift. It's 5 o'clock at night. They've worked 10 hours nonstop. And their boss can come to them at 5 p.m. and say, guess what? You're staying another four hours. And we don't do that to pilots. Your pilot flies you from New York to L.A. They get off the plane and they go home and rest. Truck drivers either. And dr truck right. Drivers, mm -hmm. They track truck drivers to make sure they're not even cheating. Exactly right. Overtime. Mm -hmm. So, so we've got a couple of structural things like that. We also have, well, guess what? We're running short on a nurse, so you're going to take another one, two, three patients. And right now in the COVID area, we're seeing that in the ICU. I've never heard of that in the ICU in 25 years of nursing. So executives have decided to put the labor problems on the backs of nurses rather than solving the underlying problem. And I think that problem predated COVID and it's only gotten worse during COVID. So if we really focus on those issues, we're gonna have a healthy, safe nursing workforce that can care for us during COVID and after COVID. And if we don't pay attention to that stuff, we're gonna be in a whole world of hurt. And we're gonna see more of the stuff that we're seeing now. Nurses leaving in droves, too many, too many patients to care for, unsafe staffing, et cetera. It's a vicious cycle if we don't break the chain. I'm 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 going to ask a question that's going to seem morbid, but it's from a fiscal place. Why would the executives break the backs of the employees 
whose job it is, is to help keep the customer alive. Like if we're just going base level, making money in healthcare, if people die, that is not good fiscally for business. So why would we create a a place where the workers cannot do their job the right way? What is the advantage in an executive doing that? Like if we said, they're not a sponsor. Let's just use Amazon, for example. Okay, yeah, Amazon's going to pay you as little as possible and not put you in a union because it makes them more money. Overworking nurses doesn't make you more money. The patient is the patient, the cost is the cost. So why would you want the patient to die? Like, what are the advantages Mm -hmm. in the executive infrastructure of a hospital in being assholes like this? Well, I, I have a lot of friends who are executives, so let me put that on there. And I think a lot of them—not them—they're really, cool. But yeah, those are the yeah. Ones. <laughs> you know so who I, we mean. <laughs> I, those other people, right? So you know, I think that first of all, a lot of the executives are trying to do the right thing, but we don't have the incentives lined up. And and I spoke about this earlier. So number one, when you unfortunately are in the hospital and you get a bill when you go home, do me a favor and look at your bill, and you tell me. This is a quiz for everybody listening. Go take a look at that bill and tell me where the bill for nursing services is. You know where it is? Room and board. Nurses are part of the room and board part of a hospital bill. So if you have cancer and, and I'm an oncology nurse and I am giving you expert care for you leukemia and I'm in your room every hour drawing blood and checking your and giving you blood products to save your life and giving you antibiotics and all that stuff. and and the person next to you uh, or the or the room down the hall has an appendix removed and they're there for 12 hours and I give them two Tylenol and send them on their way. The bill for the day is the same. So right now, nurses are widgets in the hospital and they are the largest mm. part of the hospital budget. And so when times get tough, guess where they're going to cut? Guess where they're going to cut the corner? without nurses stepping up and saying this is no longer safe this is no longer acceptable we need a different structure and so it's a it's a tricky thing it's going to be hard to solve but what i'm what executives can do right now is really listen carefully to what their nurses are telling them and act on it and what they can do tomorrow is eliminate mandatory overtime because that's unsafe and we know it's unsafe and they can work carefully to get those numbers right so that we have an adequate number of nurses to care for the patients because it's unsustainable. But the primary problem is we do not value either numerically or monetarily the kind of nursing care that patients in the U.S. need in hospitals. One of the things that I found researching that you know really struck me was just, you know, not just the level of care, but just all of the different types of care that nurses do that I don't think we really think of that, you know, it's not, it is drawing blood and it is giving medicine, but you're also, you're helping patients shave, you know, the nurses are the ones holding the phones so people can talk to patients. Like there's a lot of things that if you did put them on a hospital bill, it would probably look like a CVS receipt, you know, because you'd be like, Oh, right. That's, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe we should start, you know, putting those on so people can actually understand that that type of care because or talking to the doctor and the pharmacist when you're not even in the room to say, you just ordered an errant medication that's going to put this patient at risk. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, so there's all this work happening behind the scenes, this air traffic control function. Nobody sees it and nobody's paying for it. It's just happening and it's part of my work. 
And so you can either have me overloaded where I'm trying to do that for too many planes, too many patients in this example, or we can do it in a way where I have the time and space to really care for patients or teach them about their new leukemia diagnosis or their new surgery, whatever they just had done. So you get what you pay for. And right now we're lumping this into room and board. It's basically a Hyatt bill. Uh, sorry if they're a sponsor of yours, but you know, <laughs> we don't, I love this idea of the CV because if we did that for a nurse, what did you do for this patient for 12 hours? It would be a ticker tape parade. Is there anything that the general public can do? Because so much of what you're talking about is, it seems to be, in my opinion, or just from my perspective, again, as a guy who only goes to hospitals to steal blankets. Borrow. You borrow them. No, I don't take no, them back, Madeline. Don't clean it up for me. I'd steal them. These are very wonderful blankets. As a person who's just on the outside looking in, it seems that a lot of the solutions here lie within the institution. But how do I, as just Joe Blow citizen, what can I do to help alleviate some of these challenges? Is it looking mm -hmm. at what our elected officials are doing? How much does politics, is there someone mm -hmm. I need to vote out? Like what can, it, it, do I show up to the hospital and try to protest? Like what can we do as regular people to help be a part of the solution on this issue? Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, it's not just the blankets. The real money is the warm blankets. So make sure you ask for that next time. Oh, nice. Electric. It will change your life. It will oh, change your life. Nice. So thank you all. Thank You're very welcome for that tip. So what can the public do? A couple of things. One is if you get great care at your facility, write the CEO of the hospital and mention the people who, who cared for you by name and tell them what a great job they did. And if you saw quality of care concerns, if you heard about mandatory overtime or unsafe staffing, put that in too and say, hey, this is not what I expect for my community hospital. Because the, they are accountable to the public. Most of our hospitals in the country are nonprofit and they're supposed to serve the community. So they need to respond to you. If you know a hospital executive, you can say, what are you doing to keep your nurses safe? And the answer shouldn't be pizza parties or coloring books. The answer should be eliminating mandatory overtime humane staffing levels and listening to nurses and acting on their issues. And do you have a safety committee for nursing and healthcare workers? Uh, we have patient safety committees in every hospital. Do we have a group of, ex of experts focused on healthcare worker safety? Missing piece. Finally, for the policy piece, couple points. Every state, healthcare, most hospital issues are managed at the state level. Moving throughout the country is legislation on um, penalizing verbal and physical abuses towards healthcare workers. Zero tolerance. You hit or strike a nurse or you call them a name, you're out. Full stop. We're not, we're not going to, you know, with limited circumstances, you are, we, we are not obligated to treat you and you can be uh, charged with a, with a crime. Um, also, mandatory staff, uh, mandatory overtime and staffing ratios that are humane and safe. There's legislation in many states. California has a staffing mandate. Uh, some states are working on banning mandatory overtime. We know those work. That keeps not only nurses safe, but it keeps patients safe. So, so those are the couple things. And then the final thing at the federal level, we talked about the nursing pipeline for faculty. We don't have enough funding to incentivize expert nurses to either stay at the bedside to teach or to teach in nursing schools. And if we want more nurses, that's where we need to start. And that's a solvable problem. That's a, we have money right? I hope we have money. Mm -hmm. That's a money problem that we can solve. And our nursing schools, you know, we can work on our back end to make it work that we can add 
you know, bring more of those people in that we're turning away year after year after year. Well, I'm happy that you are a nurse educator and that you're a nurse and that you're a doctor of nursing because with a name like, you know, Dr. Freeze, you easily could have been a villain or some sort of comic book person that wreaked havoc on the city. But instead, you wreak love. Dr. Christopher Freeze, thank you so much for going beyond the scenes with us today. And Madeline, I will see you again on here. I don't know. Fourth, I'll see you at the fifth. next pizza party, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of Guess What? Guess It. Yes, Beyond the Scene. That was a good guess. I knew you were smart. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Shout out to all our nurses out there who work long hours and who deserve way more than a pizza party. In this next clip, I chat with singer-songwriter Aloe Black about how musicians have been getting shortchanged by the streaming industry and how he got involved in the fight. Better give us our money. I mean, I'm a comedian. I don't make as much streaming as musicians, but still, I want them 48 cents. It's my roll the clip. It's my money. I want it. I did not know that the number was $43 billion that the music industry brought in last year. Yet somehow, artists only got 12% of that for, you wouldn't have this shit without us. That's what I'm saying. Especially now, because like back in the day, it seemed like, oh, well, music labels did work. You know, they got the records into the store and they did promotion and they, you know, they got it out there to people. But Alan, now you probably do a lot of that stuff yourself now, right? Yeah, Allo, break this down. How did you get involved in this? Because I know that you were very vocal about this. I got involved because I had one of the biggest songs in the world in 2013, 2014, Wake Me Up. So wake me up when it's all over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was finding myself and I didn't know I was lost. And I was looking at the streams total and then looking at the money that came in from the streams total and it just wasn't making sense so 
I'm a songwriter and a singer. Not every artist who's singing their songs is also writing the songs. But when I looked at the math, it just wasn't, it wasn't adding up. You know, I'd rather have a dollar per download uh, or somebody purchasing a CD than 0.004 cents for a stream. It, it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a tenable situation for most of the artists. Do you think, Allo, just as an artist, do you think that streaming, what are, what are some of the pros of streaming? Do you think it saved the music industry to a degree? Because the music industry was taking a bath. And I know that's where a lot of those 360 deals came from because the record labels figured out, oh shit, we're not gonna make any money off you from album sales. So I want a piece of your t-shirts and your Live Nation and all your tour dates. And then we'll make sure your song gets on the radio. So do you think streaming in a way saved the music industry? I do give it some credit. So I was part of that Napster generation when I was in college, I was downloading all kinds of free music. And so it wasn't gonna be possible for artists to make money if everybody's downloading the music for free. Having an organized system by which there is some sort of subscription paid, some money paid, will put money back into the system then gets distributed to the artist. However, the way that the system works right now isn't an equitable system. So I would give the, the streaming industry some credit for saving the music industry, but it was also in a moment where we're, we're always rapidly transforming with, with, uh, and, and progressing, evolving with technology. Things are always gonna change. If we can have artists at the table though, to make some of those decisions on how it changes, um, so that we can continue to offer value, really valuable music and art, then uh, I think it'll make for a much more fair, fair play playing ground, you know. Allo, what's different about this battle now? Because as far as I know, the record industry has always been shady. Is it the addition of the streamers now playing the role of co-conspirator? Or is it the fact that this system, this construct was kind of built before our eyes over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years? Good question. It was built before our eyes. You saw it happening. What you didn't see was the inside baseball where Spotify looking like it's standing alone is ultimately heavily, heavily invested in by the major record label uh, corporations. So Spotify doesn't really have much say. And when I joined the fight, I was joining the fight really as a songwriter. Look, what is John Lennon or Paul McCartney without the lyrics and melody that they wrote, right? What is a song without the lyric and the melody? You could get a great Michael Jackson song Correct. and hear three, four hundred different versions of it, right? At the end of the day, it's that, that unitary piece, that, that morsel, that nucleus, the songwriting. And when I learned that the songwriters get 1 14th of the income out of all this, I thought to myself, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, what, where, where would the music industry be without the, that piece of intellectual property, the actual songwriting, the underlying work? And so I just started doing more digging and, and just getting in, involved in the fight. Is the problem the rates paid per stream? Like, how do we make this more equitable? The, the problem is the rates paid per stream. And the issue is that as an artist, as a businessman, right, I don't get to choose my price. Any other industry, you get to choose your price. As, a, as an entrepreneur, you get to say, this is what I'm willing to sell my wares for. And if there's a willing buyer, then so be it. If there's not, then I die by my own sword. And I wanna be able to choose my price. You're gonna tell me that um, Bill Withers lean on me 
is worth 0 0.004 per stream, same as, uh, I don't even want to name no artists right now, but you know, there's a gang of Roy artists. Roywood Jr., you can just say it, Roywood Jr. comedy albums <laughs> from Comedy Central, it's not the same price. It's, it's fine. I'll, take, I'll lay on that grenade. It's fine. Take the hit. Yes, you can take the hit. So you, you get me, right? And so what I think is, yeah. why can't uh, Mr. Withers Estate say, nah, this is worth $4 a stream. And if you don't like it, so be it. But this is the price. It's not going down because this is what the worth is in terms of value, artistic, credibility, authenticity, and um, what he delivered to the world. So, you know, if there's going to be a number, at least let the artists decide and we we can figure it out over time what can fans do in general because it, it, more often than not this battle between artists and the record label traditionally as a fan i've always felt helpless like when i you can correct me i'm sure you're more of a music encyclopedia than me but it, it, i just won't name the artists but i know that there have been traditionally a lot of rappers who speak out against their label and go I'm only getting 50 cent a CD or a dollar a CD. And as a fan, the reaction from a lot of people, especially a lot of black people, a lot of hip hop fans, well, you shouldn't have signed that deal. Not knowing the intricacies of how you get distribution and how you get in stores at that time. But it seems like distribution is less of a necessary need. So what can we as fans do to even try to help support artists other than just set up eight laptops and just let all them shits play? Aloe Black. <laughs> the best thing that you could do to support fans is uh, go directly to the fan to the artist for the the merchandise that they're selling. Um, the artist, if they have their own uh, their own infrastructure, can deal with you on a one to one basis. Um, there are you know many of the the major artists have such a huge infrastructure around them that. You're, it's not going to be easy to do that, but for for independent artists and up and coming artists, they generally have their own merch website where you can buy a T-shirt or whatever. Um, they might be able to to sell you a song one to one uh, from their from their website as well, their Bandcamp or their uh, TuneCore, um, and you know share their music, share share out the love and spread the gospel of what they're doing. So that when we do open back up and people can get into concerts, um, they can get a chance to to get that that concert ticket money. Um, that's definitely one of the plays for for a lot of artists. I know a lot of artists that survive off of that uh, touring money. Here's a naive question, though, and this is coming from a guy that has seen people go viral on TikTok and Twitch and YouTube and IG stories with their own original stuff who had no label, they had no support. What does the future of streaming look like? Because what is the advantage of a record label? If I, like right now, what's to stop me from going in the studio, getting my shit recorded and mastered, and then getting some ISRC code digital footprint embedded in the track, and sending that out onto the internet and uploading that to set, because there's ways for me to get on a streamer without a record label. I could just send, my, like there's digital distribution companies that'll just take a 30% pinch off of the dollar and I get to keep 70 cents. So what's to stop an artist that's popular? Like, why do I need a label if everybody's listening to their stuff on a streamer anyway, and I can get to a streamer without a label? 
Yes, that's a good question. Um, ultimately, the answer is uh, whether or not you're going to be part of the, the global consciousness as an artist. Um, you may be in for a second, for a hot minute with your hot song, but, um, you know, these big boys are, are there to play. And if you want to get that radio, you're going to have to work with them because this is the, the decades old kind of, you know, inside club. And then if you do have that one hit, they're going to come at you with a huge bag and be like, look, here's a huge amount of money that we're going to offer you to join our record label so that we could probably never pay attention to you again. Um, and you probably won't get all this money. It's just promised to you over time if you uh, if you perform. And so. You know, when you hear about these big multi-million dollar deals, these are usually spread out across 10 albums, um, you know, and multiple years. The artist doesn't necessarily see all that money. And you're looking at a lot of young cats who are flossing, but they're flossing. They got a bag, but they're flossing off of money that's not going to last forever. That's not forever, but ever money. Some of that's going to be gone. The reason why they end up going to the record labels is because they get that big, big paycheck in their in front of their face, rather than having to wait for the the slow drip from the rec, from the streams. What does it take then? Because you know, there's independent artists that have stayed independent. Like a, a guy that I, two guys that I've enjoyed. Uh, one, Immortal Technique. The other one, Tech Nine. And you know, Tech Nine is a rapper that. If you know him, you know him. He definitely does not get the spins on regular radio, but seems to have carved out a decent living for himself and will never, he's not going to get mobbed at the airport the way Drake or somebody from Young Money would or whatever. But why do you think that, or what does it take for the artists and the creators to realize that they're the ones with the power and not the labels in the radio stations? It's going to take... Uh a lot of communication from, I'd say, the more mature and seasoned artists in the music industry to work with some of the younger ones and, and help them to recognize. You know, young, young cats, they're rebellious. They, they just wanna do what they do and, and get their money. Uh, they're not really paying attention to the history of everything and where the trend is leading, or at least where the, the, the activism within the, within the artistry is, is leaning. Um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough battle. We're battling culture, um, cultural norms. We're battling uh, some deep seated industrial norms. And I'll just keep trying to stand up and, and, and speak my, speak my truth, you know. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the great guests and experts that we've had on the show. And when season two comes back around, oh man, we're going to have some more. Be sure to listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. 
Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.